Peacock is supposed to be Olympics central for online viewers, but finding a timely replay or clip or live stream of a favourite sport is an exercise in frustration. Is this a missed opportunity for NBCU? Listen on to find out. This week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon at the very beginning from End Screen Media. Hey, Colin, how's everything? You getting your fill of the Olympics? I am. I'm, <laughs> uh, I've been watching the Rugby Sevens, although I've struggled a little bit uh, to, to watch all of the stuff that I want to. But I guess we'll get to get to that in a little bit. Uh, but I was watching some of the women's rugby sevens this morning. God, that's such a great game, Will. You've got to watch some of it. It's so fast-paced. It's really tremendous. But what happens if you don't even know the first basic, most basic rule? Can you still enjoy it? Yes, you can. Okay. Yes, you can. Lots right. of scoring, lots of points. It's great. Okay. All right. I'll give it a try then. Um, and actually, I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of heads up because our main topic today is indeed the Olympics and Peacock and Collins travails in watching the Olympics. So he's going to share his user experience um, trying to make sense out of Peacock. But before we get to that, Colin, we're going to do our couple of news stories for the week and you're going to get us started. What caught your eye? I am. And I was uh, amazed to see that Dish Network and HBO Warner Media have finally reached agreement after three years to get HBO back uh, on the Dish service. So this is pretty amazing. This was announced this morning. So if you're a Dish customer, you can now get HBO. And uh, actually, they're also going to add HBO Max. So you'll probably be able to get access to that through the Dish Network DVR. Uh, But Sling customers are out of luck. They will not be able to access HBO from Sling TV. I've got to say, Will, this is probably a bit underwhelming for customers because I think everybody who wanted HBO has probably already signed up for HBO Max, right? Pretty much, although obviously they wouldn't do these deals if there wasn't some incremental subs to be gained. So uh, it is obviously pretty late in the game to be getting into this and three years after they dropped it. But, you know there's always a new sub to be added to be scrounged around somewhere i suppose so what caught your eye well what caught my eye is that is this report i read in the new york times it was also everywhere in the industry this week too that universal pictures and peacock are apparently stepping up for 400 million dollars to buy a new exorcist trilogy and that deal kind of is being spoken in the same breath as Netflix's deal for $465 million for the two sequels to Knives Out, which, by the way, was a great movie. I don't know if two sequels are worth $465 million, but is an Exorcist trilogy worth $400 million? I don't know. But I thought it was a pretty big move, certainly the biggest move we've seen out of Universal and peacock to date so i don't know i still remember the exorcist scaring the bejesus out of me that spinning head back when i was just a tot i can't remember how old i was but it 
certainly caused me many sleepless nights afterwards. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's, it put a whole new spin on two bluebells from oh, Mike nice. Oldfield, didn't it? Well done, well done. <laughs> yeah, that's showing that's showing our age well. Well, I tell you what, I'm much more likely to watch Knives Out. Um, but yeah, that sounds like an awful lot of money for that very ancient franchise that they're reviving there. And perhaps this is part of a new a new focus. Um, I mean, are they planning to release that? through digital or is this uh, what's the plan there i'm not sure well first of all i'm not sure they've actually even announced it yet or if they did officially i may have missed it but this was just the rumor mill that was flying around this week and my guess is that my guess is that they'll put it in the theaters first for at least a little bit before they put it on peacock but maybe they'll do day and date right because we have a little bit of evidence this goes back to our Black Widow discussion for Disney and Disney Plus, maybe they feel enough confidence that they will make it simultaneous release. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like that's a that's a model that's going to be here with us for quite some time, and with the continuing saga that has become COVID nineteen, um, I don't know how. I think still think a good proportion of people are going to be uncomfortable going to theaters. So really for for movie makers to really optimize the value, they're going to have to be looking at some sort of accelerated windowing system yeah. for digital releases for the time being, at least. And uh, it could be long enough for that transition. But we talked about that a lot the last time, so uh, maybe we should move on to a different topic. Yeah, so we are going to move on to a different topic. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you are going to share your experience with Peacock and trying to watch the Olympics. And I'm just going to give our listeners a heads up that you're going to hear some ranting from Colin today, but I promise you there will be an end to it. And we are going to also talk about Comcast launching Hulu with live TV and what that means for Xfinity TV and also the idea that YouTube TV is probably right around the corner for Xfinity broadband subscribers. But on that note, Colin, let loose. Well, I'll try not to make this too much of a rant, Will. Um, I, I, what I really want to talk about here is I just think that Peacock has missed an opportunity to connect with an audience uh, that has fundamentally disconnected from the pay TV experience um, in, in, in any shape or form, whether it be virtual MVPD or traditional cable satellite or telco TV. And um, I, this actually stems from when we started, uh, when my, my, my wife and I started to watch the games over the weekend, we, of course, we turned to Peacock because we're a digital first household. And NBC has positioning Peacock, has been positioning Peacock as the place to go to watch the Olympics online to co- and to coordinate your viewership of the Olympics online. And we really struggled to find live or a replay of the events that we had been hearing about in that day and of course uh, backdrop of this I'm on the east I'm on the west coast so for me a lot of the events are happening in the wee small hours of the morning so we would hear that an event was happening overnight and we would come to Peacock and try and watch that event a replay of that event or something and uh we couldn't find it and this was actually very frustrating 
so my response to that was, oh, maybe it's behind the paywall. So I paid my $6 and discovered it was not behind the paywall. So this, this was pretty jarring, particularly when you compare it to the coverage that NBC had provided for 2016 online um, they did a really bang up job will on nbc sports they had a great guide it was very easy to find every sport listed there they had made a commitment to live broadcast everything and of course the time zones are very different here rio was kind of close to our time zones and japan is like very heavily out of sync but notwithstanding that it was a very good online experience i'm you know, uh, as I mentioned, I love the Rugby Sevens and I watched every game of the men's and women's tournament all the way through to the finals there and I was able to watch live and it was very easy. Um, so it's jarringly different with these games and particularly when when you think about how different we are today than we were in 2016. And so I ran the numbers, Will, and it really is pretty jarring. So back, if you look at back in 2016, there were 98 million homes that had cable, satellite, and telco TV. Today, that is 76 million. So 22 million homes have exited, 22 million pay television homes have exited the ecosystem. But it's actually even worse than that because that doesn't include new home formations. And when you actually look at that, those numbers, what you end up with is 50 million homes now do not have cable, satellite, and telco TV. That's an increase from 30 million back in 2016. So that's a huge jump in the number of homes that are disconnected. Now, of course, some of those, about 11 million of those, have picked up a virtual MVPD. So they do have access to some of the coverage, maybe not all, but they do have access to some. But the thing that's most jarring about this is the thought of what this is doing to young people. Um, many young people have really disconnected from the pay TV universe and their expectations are vastly different to ours. They're on TikTok, everything is in media, everything comes to them right away. And what, what we're seeing here now is that they can hear the result and they can get the result of an event at the Olympics but they can't watch it. And at least not through NBC coverage. They have to wait. I think NBC is holding things so that they can broadcast it in prime time and then they're releasing the clips. So I checked this morning um, and there was a women's volleyball over, over the night and that is not available through Peacock. So so this is, a, this is really jarring to me that you cannot watch a replay of a, an overnight game through Peacock. That was my expectation that I would be able to do that. Now, I didn't read what Peacock was saying. That's just my expectation. I've been told that this was the Olympic hub and that's what I would be able to do. And I suspect that many people, particularly younger people, that would have been their expectation. And it's not happening. And I think this is a big loss for NBC to re-engage with an audience that is really disconnected. Okay, so let's just pause there for a second, Colin. Um, I mean, I totally hear you on the disappointment that someone who does not have a pay TV subscription would be feeling that they cannot watch even, you know, never mind live, but they can't even watch a replay 
of the event, like women's volleyball, when it ends, let's just say at a minimum, the match is over, they put the whole thing on Peacock, it becomes available, delayed by three hours, let's just say. I, I could totally see people being disappointed in that. Um, at the same time, though, you know, for us pay TV subscribers, and I still have YouTube TV, you have as well, um, you know, I was able to click to record all Olympic events. And sure enough, the volleyball, women's volleyball against Turkey was broadcast this morning at 5 a.m. or 5.30, whenever it was. And I could have, if I'd been up at that hour, watched it then. Or as soon as I got up this morning, I could have watched the replay of it. So I think that you're absolutely right that people who don't have pay TV are disadvantaged. Uh, but I think it's sort of a sign that we're still in these transitionary times, that pay TV still matters a lot to Comcast and to NBC. And there are going to be certain perks of paying for pay TV that uh, are not going to be available to people who are just paying $6 a month to get Peacock. So I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on that statement, Will. Um, and I think we'll, we'll get onto this when, we'll talk, when, we, when we talk about Comcast a little bit more um, and, and about Hulu Live appearing, appearing on their boxes. Um, I, I actually think that there's a lot of people inside of, uh, of Comcast and NBCU that actually recognize that we've passed a watershed moment here and that uh, we actually are now uh, looking at something that's pretty much completely different. There was, uh, I forget the name, the name of the guy at NBC, Bahatia, I think his name is. He said that he was expecting the audience for NBCU content by 2022 to be 50-50. The people to be watching as much content digitally as they are watching through traditional. So... They, they seem to think that this transition is happening relatively quickly. The, the, the real stopping point here is, yes, okay, so they disappointed me. And yes, I, I can go to my Sling TV and set everything to record that I want. But the fact that I have to is just right there. That's a big stopping point. Because if you look at young people... If you look at the data, young people don't even know what a DVR is. They don't even know what it means to set something to record. So they, th th this is a huge stopping point for them, right? Their expectation is, I hear about a result that interests me. I should be able to watch it. And they can't. It's that simple. Uh, and, and that is, I think, a huge problem. Um, I think that's really going to um, really badly affect the ratings that, that, uh, for the games themselves. Now, look, of course, look, they, these games are very difficult, right? They're completely out of sync with our time zone, so we were expecting things to be really down. But there was a wonderful opportunity here with Peacock, brand new platform to engage with a new audience. And I'm just seeing a lot of people very frustrated with that experience and complaining about the, their expectations are not being met. Mine certainly are not being met. And it's just badly implemented in the interface as well, Will. I mean, well, that's a, silly thi yeah. there are silly things going on. Like well, you can't, when you look at clips, you can't tell what time they, when, they, when they're from, you can't, you, you know, you, 
it's just really difficult to figure out what you're watching. Well, I, you know, I think we could get to talking about the interface. I think that's yet a whole separate sort of kettle of fish, if you will. But to go respond to, you know, your point, which I think is very valid. I mean, we are in a transition period and there are going to be these moments like we're having right now with the Olympics where the rubber meets the road in terms of whether the, you know, Comcast, NBCU is going to be willing to give equal access to a live event to people who are paying $6 a month for Peacock versus those that are paying for a traditional or even a virtual pay TV bundle, which costs at least, pick a number, 10 times that, 15 times that per month. And in this particular rubber meets the road situation, what you're talking about, volleyball and lots of other sports, they made the decision that they were not going to put them on a level playing field, that they were still going to advantage the pay TV subscribers. Now, is that ever going to happen again? Is that ever going to happen? Is it going to happen in 2022, 2024, et cetera? I would probably guess the answer is no. I would say this is probably the last Olympics. But you'll probably remember that you and I talked about who knows how many years ago that you know we conjectured that there would be some type of an Olympics pass, that there would be some type of a, an incremental SVOD service that would allow you to get access, digital streaming access to all the events. And my guess is that that's what's coming next. What comes next is the pick a number, $30, $40 Olympics pass. So if you're not a pay TV sub, you come in for that and that bridges you to the eventual day, to your point, where for literally $6 Peacock, you get unfettered access. That That's my guess of where this goes potentially next year in 22 or 24. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think you'll hear me disagreeing with that at all, Will. Uh, my point here is, the, particularly with young people, you have a group of people that are really disconnected. Yeah. And they're your future audience. Yeah. They're the people, when you offer that plan in 2024, when you offer that plan, they're the people you want to sign up for it. And uh, they're, they're disconnecting from this experience. So you have to build your audience, and they're really missing the opportunity to do that through Peacock. The other thing is that they misset, I think, the expectations of people by positioning Peacock as the online center for the Olympics. Um, and I totally get what you're saying. $6 is, a, is not very much money to spend to get access to all of the Olympics. Uh, they sh- if that's that's the case, then they should have been ready and given me a twenty dollar upgrade for the month that gave me access to everything, gave me access to all the streams, that gave me access to all the sports and all the replays, like right up front. They may uh, not have. And- they, they may not have had the rights to do that, Colin. This time around, I mean, this deal was negotiated how many years ago? They may not have had the freedom to even offer that, even if they wanted to. Well, they certainly had the rights in 2016 to show every single game of every event live. They definitely had those rights. Um, So, you know, they're not doing that through Peacock either. Of course, it's less valuable because of the time difference. 
but some of those games and some of those events are occurring in time on times when we could watch um, so I guess I guess my point here is this is a missed opportunity it's actually frustrated a lot of people I think it's frustrated a lot of people who may have come to Peacock for the first time and now are very disappointed in the coverage that they're receiving from that and uh, may not come back so the great the great gains that peacock has made over the last year or so uh, they, they may have to work to win people back again uh, now that they've been had a bad experience with uh, with the games all right well as your good friend i'm just going to accuse you of being bitter that you forgot to hit the record button for all olympic events <laughs> on your but, DVR but because so you had tw- access. So you had access to everything, Colin. That's I, so too. I appreciate you Will. speaking on behalf of all the digital natives, <laughs> but you had the ability to watch all so, those events. <laughs> I should say, I was very careful during the Premier League season to make sure I did set the recorder up to record all the Premier League games. But I can tell you right now that where I watched, I watched the game highlights of every single game which NBC got up on YouTube very quickly, I watched all of those. And that was extremely well done in the Premier League season and um, well worth the price of my Sling TV subscription uh, for me to enjoy that. So that was really good. Why aren't they doing that with the Olympics is all I can say. Well, that's fair, Colin. And, and let's, I, I promised our listeners up front that we would not have 30 minutes of you ranting. So, and you've been, to be fair, you've kept your blood pressure down. I think you've, <laughs> you've remembered that these are first world issues that we're talking about. And this is, yeah. needs to be. But I think we should, pres- uh, we should talk about this move to allow Hulu Live onto, onto yeah, Comcast well, that's, Xfinity boxes. That's, what that's I'm a saying. really important move. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. We have about maybe six, five, six minutes left. And, you know, Comcast, number one, reported this morning. We're recording on Thursday. And, you know, in their defense about Peacock, they say that as of today, the reporting day, they have 54 million signups for Peacock. That's up 20 million versus three months ago. They pointed to a few catalysts for that. The day and date release of Boss Baby 2, the release of Dr. Death, their biggest original, as they say, the Olympics they pointed to as well. Um, They're also bullish going forward because they're going to be, again, bringing these movies from Universal into the pay one window on Peacock starting in 2022. They also announced a, um, you know, the beginnings of an international rollout to Europe to the Sky subscribers. So all that is to the good for Peacock. Of course, they still did not announce how many people are actually paying for Peacock right now. That still remains one of the great mysteries of the streaming world. But be that as it may, um, you know, those are the Peacock numbers, and I think they were part of what was actually a very stellar quarter for Comcast. They added another 334,000 residential broadband subscribers. That was basically flat from 340,000 added a year ago in Q220. And they actually reduced their loss of video subscribers. They reduced that loss in Q221 to 364,000, all the way down from 427,000 um, a year ago in Q2 of 20. So that actually is pretty nice progress for them. But as you pointed out, and as I wrote this week, they 
announced something late last week that actually I think is relatively bold, which is that they are making Hulu with live TV, the virtual pay TV service, direct head-on competitor to Xfinity TV, their core cable service, you know, the roots of the company. They are making that available to their broadband and flex TV subscribers. And, um, you know, that basically means that you as a broadband only subscriber could go watch an over the top virtual pay TV service through Comcast through your broadband, your Comcast broadband connection. And in addition to that, I would forecast that there will be a deal for YouTube TV to be available to broadband flex customers very soon, like potentially as soon as Q3. They already have the YouTube app available in that interface. So I think that's coming next. And you know, my question, what I wrote about is, what does this all mean in terms of Comcast uh, uh, holding on and continuing to emphasize the video business? And, and uh, you know, prominent industry analyst whose name I will not mention, but he knows who he is, has insisted to me for a couple of years now that Comcast is basically all but done with the video business, that they are, they are completely in maintenance mode and anybody who's tried calling into Comcast to complain about a rate increase for the past couple of years knows that they get completely stiff-armed. Comcast is not negotiating with customers who are complaining about their rates going up. They tell them to basically to pound sand. If they don't like it, then leave. And this move to add Hulu with Live and soon, I think, to add YouTube TV to broadband and flex, I think is the next step in the progression of Comcast, you know, all but walking away from video. And, and you know, they're not going to discontinue the service, to be sure, but they're just going to kind of let it become a melting iceberg for them. Yeah. What So... For pay TV operators, uh, video has been the anchor of the triple play or the double play. It's it's been the thing that has really held customers and churn and Comcast. You know, back five ten years ago, Comcast was singing the praises of the triple play bundle as being the savior of the business. That that the churn amongst those um, those customers was significantly lower, much much lower than uh, for others. But here's the thing, Will. It turns out that if if operators can continue to give a great video experience, even if they don't own the video, that it's a significant churn, churn reducer when you couple that with your broadband. So Xfinity Flex, you know, if as you say, they do an integration with YouTube TV there, it would be a smart move to make, I think. Um, that will continue, that people that use that will be, I think, much less likely to churn off their broadband. So the benefits of video can, I think, a lot of the benefits of video can still be experienced by the operator, even though they don't directly financially benefit or they're not running the service. They may, well, they they do, may actually... They definitely yeah. benefit. I mean, they're definitely getting... A kickback or something. Paid, uh, yeah, they're definitely getting paid a commission for every Hulu Live yeah. TV, but they also yeah. get ongoing benefits in the form of, wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they get some piece of the monthly revenue, and, and I think they're probably getting some ad, rev, ad inventory share on Hulu and, as well. And because people, are st- because people are staying on that box, 
when they want to rent a movie, they do it from the Comcast yep. store. Yep. When they want to buy, they do it from the Comcast store. They don't yep. do it from somebody else. So there are many, many benefits to this. And the benefits accrue even if you don't own the video service that's right. keeping people anchored. If you yep. make it, a t if you tightly couple it into a great experience and solve this, the complexity problem, which a lot of people have today with their video experience, then it's a great anchor and churn is going to be lower amongst those subscribers. Uh, so, so yeah. you know, I think it totally makes sense for uh, uh, Comcast to do this. And the truth is, well, a couple of years ago, Comcast said, we're done trying to save customers that want to save money. We're right. done. Right. If they want to leave, they can leave. We're going to focus our attention Absolutely. on the customers that love us and that are paying us lots of money for the video we're not going to bother about them at all and that's exactly what they've been doing and they've yep. been losing a lot of subscribers um, and i guess one could say that those subscribers are the ones that have discovered that they really weren't using it that much anyway um so hey, they're just encouraging them to cut the cord and leave more quickly but um yeah you know so so this is no surprise that that they're continuing to do this and when you follow that to its logical conclusion, the logical conclusion is to do this sort of thing with Hulu Live. Yeah, and I think to your earlier point, Colin, it's it really is, I think, worth noting what a huge transition this has been for not just Comcast, but for other cable operators as well, that this emphasis on the, quote, connectivity model, the broadband business, because as you said, I mean, I don't know, it probably wasn't even five years ago when it was all about the triple play and the ads for that X1 box were incessant. You, you know, here in the Boston area, probably in your area as well, you couldn't go more than whatever, 10 minutes. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but like it felt like you couldn't go 10 minutes without hearing a message about an ad for you have to get an X1 box. And I was one of the first, as listener, loyal listener remember, I was one of the first X1 um, households out there. And it was a fantastic product, it is a fantastic product, but its time has just completely passed. And yeah. I think Comcast now recognizes that. Yeah. Yep. So, well, if that's the case, then why aren't they doing a better job with Peacock? But I think we've already... <laughs> I think we've already uh, hashed that point, but I, I do think we're probably just about out of time for today. All good things in time, Colin, is all I would tell you. All good yeah. things in time. Anyway, great conversation as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream. And this is Will Richmond, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.